story behind that hymn. If you haven't, you can find it quite easily on the internet. So it's a beautiful situation um, in terms of his life, who's the author. Congregation here have a couple of things as we come together in prayer. Ruth Ann has asked special prayer this morning. And we are going to be praying for Ruth Ann's very close friend, Barbie who is in the hospital at this time. She has had a bout and a struggle and a battle with cancer, but right now she is struggling in terms of her breathing. So they're going to do a procedure tomorrow. We want to be praying for that. And also, just in terms of announcing, she needs a person for full-time work in terms of her home, things around her house, Many in this congregation have helped her in the past. <laughs> so, but her person who has been full-time has left her, and shows she's asking for prayer for that as well. Also, <laughs> uh, in terms of the prayers that we have been offering in this congregation, uh, there is some very good news this morning that I want to relate to you as well that is going on in Wisconsin <laughs> And that is, Michael Hunter has shared with me that that Joanna's sister, little Titus, that we prayed for, is being baptized this morning. (laughs) It's being baptized this morning. So what a wonderful joy in the Lord to that family and so forth in terms of also the Lord being so gracious to hear the prayers of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us come together in prayer. Our Lord and our God, we know that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is continually there before they work. We come this morning worshiping the head of the church Jesus, how we love him, how we thank him for caring for us, how we are thankful that he does watch over and shield and guard his people throughout the world. Bless the church, bless the flock of the Lord Jesus Christ. Bless them and nourish them not only in the word and in your counsel, but also daily in terms of, your, of their walk. We thank thee for the spirit that Christ sent after his death and resurrection upon the church to lead the church into all truth. We ask, O oh Lord, that we would be bent on serving the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit as the way, the truth, and the life. And we ask, O Lord, that you would bless the church and those who are proclaiming thy word throughout the world, that you would keep keep thy word steadfast in the hearts of thy people. 
we think of Stephen and Catalina Payson. We thank thee for their lives in Uganda, excuse me, in Uruguay. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would bless them and bless their ministry there in Uruguay. Very difficult country in which to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask that they would be able to make connections with their neighbors. Be able to make connections with business owners as well in the, in the vicinity of the work. For that is important in terms of spreading the gospel in that community and in that land. Bless their ministry. We ask that you would be also with Greg and Ginger O'Brien in Downingtown, Pennsylvania. We ask that you would be with them as they welcome, as they would welcome new members. We ask you that more people would come in terms of the fellowship of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask also that there would be help provided in terms of teaching Sunday school in that small home mission work. And we ask, O oh Lord, that the lost would also see the ministry of the word and that it's a benefit unto them in, in, in the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask that you be with Brent McNeil. We thank thee for his work and his service to the Lord Jesus Christ, his proclamation of the word day, uh, Sunday after Sunday in Olympia. We ask that you would continue to strengthen the fellowship of that congregation. We ask for wisdom and knowledge and zeal within that congregation for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask also in terms of our own of our own lives. We ask for the growth in terms of maturity in our faith. We ask, O oh Lord, that we would continually reflect upon thy word and that in our hearts we would have a deeper love for the Lord Jesus Christ given to us by thy spirit and that also we would have a love for lost neighbors and for one another in our congregation. Continue to teach and instruct us with the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we who think we may, we may be great, we are, we are last, we are the lesser in thy kingdom. Place that in our hearts. Help us to continually reflect upon the life of self-denial for the sake of others, for the love of others. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would be with Mary Story's family. We are saddened to hear that she passed away over this last week. <clears throat> but, O oh Lord, we know of her testimony and her confession of the Lord Jesus Christ. She has been a friend to many in this congregation. Many do not know her at the same time. But, O oh Lord, she did serve as well as her husband in this congregation, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask that you be with her family members, their children, and that they would contemplate her confession of the Lord Jesus Christ through this time of, of sorrow and giving them comfort. We ask that you be with Jeremy Hunter. We are so thankful for the new job that thou has provided for him in thy providence. He reports that he absolutely loves it so far. We're thankful for that. We pray that that would continue for him. And we also ask that you would be with him as he adjusts to living in Los Angeles and then that, and then that in that environment. 
We also, O Lord, give praise to thee for watching over some of health issues recently and that he is much improved. We thank thee also for the life of Michael and Joanna Hunter. We're thankful for their testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank thee for their steadfastness in terms of their, of their work ethic, in terms of their employment and what thou hast provided for them. We ask also that you would be with Joanna as her work schedule is sometimes very, very difficult and very much, and much of a strain. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would comfort her, strengthen her for each day in terms of her service to the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord God, we also rejoice this morning that the baptism of Titus to Sarah and Jason has taken place, and we're so thankful for to see that thou art the God of covenant, that thou art the one who does preserve our children, and you are the one who brings the covenant blessings unto them. We thank thee, O God. We rejoice that you have heard the prayers of thy people. We ask that you be with Ruth Ann Soros and through this time, her best friend, Barbie, very difficult struggles in which she has been going through. Ruth Ann has been by her sides faithfully. We ask, thank thee for Ruth Ann's encouragement to Barbie. And we ask, O oh Lord, that as she now is in the hospital, that the procedure tomorrow would be that which would give her better breathing. She would breathe easier. We pray for success in terms of the doctors watching over her and giving her what she needs in this situation. Bless her. We ask also that you would provide a full-time employer Anne doesn't know where this is going to come from, but, oh, Lord, we know that in your providence you do serve thy people. And so there are many projects that need to be done around her home. And so she relies upon thee for, thou, for the service that thou will provide in terms of someone coming forth for her. We ask that that would be done quickly. We continue to ask your prayers upon uh, Debbie Donovan's father in terms of his struggle with lung cancer. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would give to him your blessing each day. Help him to understand in his suffering that thou art the one who is close beside him. We ask, thank thee, O oh Lord, that we see Jan Shreve and the healing that you have brought upon her this week. And we ask, O oh Lord, that you would give to her full strength in terms of her ankle. And we're thankful for the blessings that you have bestowed upon her life. We place all these things before the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Congregation, let us rise and let us sing number 413. 413.
I will mention in the message the logical flow of Mark's narrative, which being directed by the Holy Spirit, of course, is genius. <laughs> but we are at a particular situation in terms of Christ addressing the disciples as they will become future apostles concerning the family. So last week we looked at marriage, and so today in addressing the family, Christ is addressing the situation about our children. So if you turn to Mark chapter 10, chapter 10, we will read verses 13 through 16. Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. Listen to the holy, infallible word of God. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Let's come together in prayer. Our Lord and our God, we are so thankful for your covenant, the blessings of the covenant, the promise of the covenant. We ask, O oh Lord, that we would have ears to hear this morning concerning what that means with respect even to our precious, precious children. Direct us by Christ's words, in Christ's name, amen. So how do you react to a lot of children around you? Are you like the disciples, wanting to rebuke them like pests? Or are you like Arnold in Kindergarten Cop, <laughs> trying to figure out how to control a wild bunch of kids? <laughs> so what is your viewpoint on children? Well, I think I have a pulse about this congregation. Our children are the objects of dear affection by all. It seems that as soon that as soon as a new baby is born, almost everyone gets to hold the baby in this congregation, except the mother. <laughs> Our covenant children are special treasures to us, especially to the parents and families to whom they are born. 
in contrast to the world, there is something special in a true biblical covenantal home about our children. We are truly humbled by the supreme architect of our human body and its growth within the womb as the image of God. Every detail of the human body and soul is a demonstration of the sovereign design of an infinite, all-knowing God. When humans close their minds in darkness to this truth, then the human body is merely another mass of the evolutionary process that is taking that has taken a material form by chance. Viewed from this dark perspective, the child within the womb can easily be destroyed. Well, we have before us this morning Jesus' disciples and these precious children who have been brought to Christ. Both the disciples and the children are created in the image of the one that is standing right there before them, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Yes, the Apostle Paul will teach us that Christ alone is the image of the invisible God, Colossians 1.15. We must not forget that in each story that Mark records in his gospel, the identity of our Savior is in the forefront, including our text about children this morning. Presently, we are participating on Christ's path to Jerusalem. Mark's record of Christ's path is very logical and simple to follow if you are willing, if you willingly participate in each story. In truth, Mark is already portraying Christ as the head of his church. Thus the stage is set for Christ as the head of his church to instruct these future apostles about families, about families in the church, a fundamental foundation of the covenant body of Christ's church. As the gospel goes into the world, every culture, every nation, and every tribe needs to know that marriage is instituted by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. From the beginning of human history, prior to the fall of Adam and Eve into sin, Christian marriage must be grounded in the creation mandate that marriage is between a male and a female who leaves mother and father to become one flesh, never to be separated by another male or female. Reviewing chapter 10, verses 7 through 9. 
Thus, Christian marriage in the original creation is based upon the eternal heavenly marriage between Christ, male, groom, and his church, the imagery of female, bride. Nevertheless, because sin and the hardness of heart still exists, Christ instructs the disciples privately about addressing a real and serious issue that will invade so-called Christian marriages. That is, both husbands and wives will unbiblically divorce their spouses and thus commit adultery. At this point, it is logical for Mark to instruct the disciples and us about covenant children within the family. As you recall, this is not the first time that Christ has mentioned children to his disciples here on the path that he is taking to Jerusalem. The first situation, Christ instructs the disciples about the importance of humility in Christ's name as illustrated in the life of the child. Second, as Christ speaks to the seriousness of corporate sin in the life of the church, he uses the term little ones as an example. Although Christ uses the little ones in his illustration to connect the child in 937 to the little ones there in 942, he's really speaking about the entire body of the church. No one. No one who is in Christ's church should cause someone to sin. Christ's warning is clear to any such person. Third incident in terms of addressing children is our text this morning. Christ mentions in is upon is upon our covenant families and their children. How are covenant parents to view their children? I hope Jesus has your attention. You do not want to miss this serious dialogue between Christ and his disciples. We are peering into an incredible discussion of our Lord concerning the very life of the church, the life of the new covenant in his blood and in his resurrection. Parents are bringing their children to Jesus in order that he might touch them. Verse 13 of our text. The divine supernatural power of Jesus' touch is on display throughout Mark's gospel. It is highlighted constantly in Mark's gospel. Whether he touches a person to heal them or whether a person reaches out so that they can touch Jesus and be restored or healed. I've given you a number of passages just in terms of reference of that in your outline. These parents want the hand. 
They want the hand of Jesus upon their children to bless them. But the disciples are not so impressed, are they? In fact, the Greek word here is important to, to capture the drama that is going on in this situation. The disciples strongly, they forcefully rebuke and admonish the fathers, the head of the household. The them in the text is in the masculine form for bringing their children to Jesus so that he might touch them. I beg you, please give your undivided attention to the drama that is going on in this text, in this situation. It is unlike any discussion between Christ and the disciples in the New Testament or for that matter, between Christ and anyone recorded in the Gospels of the New Testament, including, guess who? It's not just forceful even in terms of Jesus' discussion with the Pharisees. This was what was astounding to me in my study this week. How do I know this? <laughs> Give your attention to verse 14. When Jesus saw the reaction of the disciples to these fathers, these parents, bringing their children to him, the text reads, he, meaning Jesus, was, key word, indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Let me pause here. You may be thinking, okay, Jesus is upset with the disciples. We have witnessed this side of Jesus' person in Mark's gospel before. Jesus has gotten into their face as well as others on several occasions. I've given you a few examples on your outline. But pause and listen carefully to the tone and the seriousness of Jesus' voice. <clears throat> the Greek word for indignant here also has the meaning of being angry, very angry. Don't miss this. Do you want to know how serious Jesus is about our covenant Children. This is serious. If you are presently parenting, do you want to know how serious Jesus is about your covenant children being in the presence and Jesus touching their hearts? Well, you're about to get your answer. <laughs> this is the only time in all the Gospels 
that the Greek word for indignant and anger is applied to the voice of Jesus. Did you hear that? We've got something in front of us very, very important. The only time Jesus is literally angry with the disciples rebuking these fathers, parents for bringing their children to touch Jesus. Are you grasping how passionate, passionate Jesus is about our covenant children? Let the children come to me. And he is not done with his weighty words. His weighty words of anger to the disciples. Do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. He continues with a profound and important words. He begins verse 15 with the intention getting phrase. You know that that's very important when you see that in terms of Jesus' own words. He says there at the beginning, verse 15, Truly I say to you. <laughs> Does he have your attention? Truly I'm saying to you. Are you listening? Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Verse 15. In verse 15, Jesus changes the wording from the plural children to the singular child. Why is this important to notice? Because based on Luke's gospel of the same story, Luke actually uses the Greek word for infant, for baby. Luke 18, verse 15. Luke verifies that the children being brought to Jesus are infants. Father's parents are bringing their infant babies to be touched by Jesus. And when the disciples rebuke these people, Jesus is not upset at the disciples because they are trying to prevent these cute little innocent babies from coming to him so that he can hold them. That's not what's going on. Oh, no. There is something going on here which reveals the supernatural gospel of redemption the kingdom that is found only in the person and in the work of Jesus Christ. The infant child is the visible example of how one comes to receive the kingdom of God. In the infant child, we have the picture that Christ has been trying to drive home to his disciples. The picture of humility. Infants are absolutely helpless to come to the gospel on their own. They cannot save themselves 
by listening and articulating the truth of the gospel. As they appear before Christ, only Christ can touch them with his saving power. Only Christ cleaving them to his breast with his arms and blessing them with his hands can take them out of their sin nature to enter the eternal kingdom of God. You see what Christ is telling his disciples. And they better understand this in relationship to the future transition, their future transition as apostles, as they go into the world as evangelists of the good news. They had better understand that every single person who comes to believe in Jesus Christ in their heart and confess him with their lips will receive the gospel by faith in the same manner pictured here by Jesus Christ. Every person is completely dependent upon the sovereign grace and mercy of God in Christ for their salvation. Does not Paul convey this picture of our salvation? Can I say, as a baby infant, in a sense, as a baby infant, perfectly, as he talks to the Ephesian church, listen to Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Apply it in terms of the infant child. For by grace... You have been saved through faith, and this is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no man can boast. But there is another aspect in our text that needs attention. As I do so, permit me to note that John Calvin is outstanding on this passage in Mark. He does not miss the point at all. In contrast to the Anabaptists who do not believe in infant baptism, Calvin says this passage is a shield against the Anabaptists. So let's give attention to verse 14. Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for such belongs the kingdom of God. In verse 14, Christ is specifically speaking about the infant children being brought to him. That's established. That's clear. Luke makes it clear. Remember the flow of Mark's gospel here. We have already noted that Christ on two other occasions on the Jerusalem journey, have impressed upon the disciples the importance of a child and the little ones and the gospel. The disciples should understand by now how Christ views children, and yet they are rebuking fathers and mothers, bringing their infants to Christ. Furthermore, as Christ prepares these future apostles for leadership in his church, leadership in his church, they had better understand that infants 
belong to covenant parents. Belong to covenant parents. Chapter 10, verse 1 through 12, which previews our text. And they also belong to the kingdom of God. Although this passage does not institute infant baptism, the incident recorded in our text and the institution of infant baptism will have to go through the, through the Great Commission, which appears in Matthew's Gospel. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the, of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Hence, in Mark chapter 10, 13 through 16, our passage, Christ provides a preview. This is a preview, the foretaste of the institution of baptism that will include infants in his church. Why is Christ so angry with the disciples? grasp this because they dare to undermine the continuity of the covenant of grace from the Old Testament to the New Testament for God's covenant children, including infants. The sign and seal of the covenant of grace upon covenant children must continue it must continue when the Messiah comes. Why would God take away that sign and seal now that the promise of the covenant has arrived? The promise has come. Why would he take it away now in the person of Jesus Christ? In Christ's church and families, infants who bear the image of Christ when born are in need to be conformed, conformed to Christ's image through Christ's saving covenant benefits. It is not difficult to understand. You are seeing it in the text. Christ loves and enacts the covenant of grace because Christ himself is is the covenant of grace and the covenant of promise who has arrived. And God provided a visible sign and seal of that covenant of grace upon his chosen people to set them apart, to separate them from the world. That's what covenant means, to set apart, to separate those who are outside the children of his covenant. Yes, the visible sign and seal of circumcision given to Abraham and his descendants. Now, now, and I have this entire sentence written out in your outline so you can see this and work with this. Now, as Paul describes that the fullness of time has come in Christ, 
Paul affirms that as the gospel goes to all the nations, the church is the true extension of Abraham's seed in which the sign and the seal of the covenant is transferred from circumcision to baptism, including infants who continue to share in the constant privilege of the covenant of life, as it is also called in our, in our confessions, established in Christ. Again, Christ is very clear here. Covenant parents must not keep their infant children from the presence and the touch of Christ's blessings. Do you not realize that my office represents Christ laying his hand on the infant when I baptize with water, placing my hand upon the infant. It's not my hand, it's that which is represented in Christ. In fact, it is not only the blessings of Christ, but also the blessings of the Father and the Holy Spirit in covenantal bond with Jesus in baptism. One final and crucial point. Think of Christ's priestly office as both priest and sacrifice. Again, you have to look at this particular situation as a foretaste. Christ, a foretaste, instructing these disciples who are going to be apostles in the church with Jesus Christ already at the right hand of his Father in heaven. You have to put that in mind as he's training and teaching these disciples as they'll go into the world and present the gospel. So keep in mind here Christ's priestly office as both priest and sacrifice. A child, like all the adults of Israel, were not allowed to enter the Holy of Holies only the high priest once a year. Well, our high priest has come and he has entered the holy of holies by his own blood. The veil of the temple has been torn down. All, all, everyone has access to the holy of holies. Even our children. Through the blood of Christ. His blood. Why would the new covenant. Exclude children and infants. Of covenant parents. From the fullness the fullness of the covenant of grace accomplished in Christ. In our text, Christ as tabernacle 
as temple, as John says about him in John 1.14, Christ as tabernacle and temple, as our final high priest allows infants to come to him and touch him. Infants, as being pictured in our text, are going behind the curtain into the Holy of Holies and touching Jesus. Christ is the access and presence of the glory of God beyond the curtain. For aren't our children baptized into the death, the atoning blood of Christ, and into the resurrection of Christ, giving full access into the holy of holies of heavenly glory. For aren't our children baptized into this death and resurrection of Christ? Hence it is hard to understand why a vast number of Protestant Christians keep their children from full access into the Holy of Holies in Christ. We must not hinder. We must not hinder. A term in this text used by Christ that will be connected to baptism in the apostolic church, Acts 10.47 and Acts 11.17. We must not hinder these infants, these children of ours, entrance into the divine presence where Christ touches them and Christ receives them into his arms and his hands and he blesses them. In the old covenant, Although circumcision was bestowed upon infants, they were not permitted into the divine presence of God, that holy of holies. But in the new covenant, both infant, male and female, will be permitted and received, key word in this text, and received into the presence, the divine presence of the Son of God and his kingdom. The new covenant in Christ does not bring less privileges to infants in comparison to the old covenant, but it brings more glorious privileges. Did you hear that? I'm going to repeat it. The new covenant in Christ does not bring less privileges to infants in comparison to the old covenant, but more glorious privileges. And what will this mean for the church and for those who are bap- and those who are parents of the baptized, we assume absolutely nothing about their effectual salvation. 
we don't assume anything concerning their effectual salvation. As Calvin says, the effectual work of redemption in the baptized infant is the secret work of the Holy Spirit, of what is being sown in seed form and proceeds to full growth. As the church, as parents, witness the seal and sign of baptism, both the church, when we baptize, there is that which is addressed to all of us, the church concerning that child and our responsibility. Both church and parents are responsible to raise the child to live and confess their baptism every single day as they are a non-communicant member, member of Christ's church and kingdom. And as they live under the roof of a covenant home. The prescription is clear by Paul in Romans chapter 6. They are baptized into the death and resurrection of Christ. And thus they are to be raised in the grace and obedience of dying to sin in union with Christ's cross. And they are to live positively in the newness, in the newness of life, in the freedom of Christ's resurrection. That is how you train. Is that your home? Is that how you are parenting? If your child has been baptized, that is what you are to be doing to him or her in the fear and knowledge of the Lord. They are to be visibly before you, dying to sin and living in the newness of life. Never excuse sin because of a child's age. There's nowhere in the covenant that defends that. Never excuse sin because of the child's age. There is nothing in the Bible about the terrible twos. So hold all behavior accountable to Christ's death in sin, to sin in the newness of life in Christ's resurrection. As a church, as parents, we need help, don't we? Let's pray. Our Lord and our God,
we know what thou hast said in covenant unto us. We act upon that communication. Christ is communicating clearly to these disciples and future apostles as they minister, as they will counsel, as they will direct the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need your help each day in our own lives, not only in terms of our children, but for all, that we die unto sin by virtue of what Christ has done for us on the cross, and that we live in the positive, glorious newness of life in the resurrection. What freedom that is for us, that we are not to live in bondage to our sin. Let that be that which is the Spirit's work in us, the Spirit's work in our families and in this church, from the youngest to the oldest. We plead for thee, O Lord, through thy Spirit, to give us the blessings of Christ touching us and holding us faithfully in his arms. In Christ's name, amen.